Good morning, everyone. It is uh, awesome to be here with you. And what a privilege throughout these uh, summer months to have opportunities to be with you and to renew uh, friendships and, uh, and good times together. Well, we've been paired to David uh, <clears throat> this summer, uh, observing his life, uh, observing his courage at times, observing his steps and uh, sometimes his missteps, uh, but his heartbeat, who David is, and that's what we've got uh, from First and Second Samuel. Now we come to the last chapter of his life, and it's the end of an era in history. Just like uh, Christine Sinclair, the captain of the women's Olympic soccer team, uh, she lived to see her team gain a gold medal against Sweden in that playoff. But on the way, as you know, they had to uh, get past the United States, and over the years, that has proven impossible to do. Uh, but not this year. Not this year. And the game against the U.S. where she handed the ball to Jesse Fleming and said, Here, you take it. You can do it. Uh, it was quite a moment. Uh, and I'm not saying that she's retiring, but I know that she is considering that and uh, see where her, uh, her career will go. And then I think of uh, Chuck Swindoll in Texas, uh, a pastor who I have appreciated so much uh, over the years. Uh, he's 86 years old, and know what? He's on sabbatical. He's on sabbatical. And I laughed when I heard that because uh, when you're on sabbatical, that means you're coming back. He's 86. And uh, when he passes on, uh, it too will be the end of an era. And that's David. We're, we're in the final chapter of his life, and I think we can all learn from this chapter of his life, whether we're in our 20s or 30s or 50s or 90s. And so I'm going to head on over to First Chronicles chapter 28 for some final observations on the life and death of David. And I hope you'll come and join me. Uh, I'm in First uh, Chronicles 28. Mel Blanc, you may know the name. He was the voice behind all the cartoon characters in the Looney Tunes. <laughs> and at the end of every, every uh, movie, you would see Porky Pig pop up with the same send-off, and it would say, that's all, folks. And, you know, when uh, Mel Blanc came to die uh, a few years ago, know what his family put on the tombstone? That's all, folks. That's all, folks. Philip Yancey writes that uh, our very response to the reality of death is a signal that we were created for more. Our very response to the reality of David, and we've already felt it this morning in this auditorium, is a signal that we have been created for more. It's hard, as Anna shared, uh, it's hard to get used to death. It hits us so hard, and we use language that softens the blow of death. We, we act out of a stubborn reluctance to yield to this most powerful of all experiences. And although I hear people talk about annihilation, that it's just all over when you die, I actually find that deep down people really don't believe that. I mean, some would hope it to be true if you've lived like the Dickens through life, and then you, you would want it to be all over. 
But most of us say, are you kidding? The, the way God has designed everything and the way he's given purpose to this life, there must be more. And uh, so, uh, I mean, if there, if there wasn't a purpose for living, if there was just annihilation, why would Jesus have needed to come and to give his life on a cross for us? So our longing is not just for a longer life, not even for an indefinite extension, especially if life is the same old, same old as we've experienced in the last eight or nine decades. Many people come into their final days of life and they, they are looking forward to going home and to being with the Lord. So we want more than uh, suffering to stop. We want death to stop. We want a better environment. And we want peace in our nations. And we want loneliness to cease in all of those things. And of course, we want our internet to be faster. We have a first world problem in our community. Uh, and that is that it is so slow to get your email out or to download something. But what we really want is not fiber optic, although I think we're going to get that. What we really want is heaven. So first, uh, Chronicles 28, uh, the first thing I want to say is putting our house in order. Putting our house in order. It's interesting how difficult it is to put our house in order. Why would you put your house in order when you're younger and you have no reason to think that you would suddenly pass from this earth? I'm remembering today, standing beside the bedside of a young man in his early 30s. He had just suffered a heart attack. He was clinging to life. And because it was August and it was warm in the hospital, uh, he didn't have a gown on from here up. And he was wonderfully tanned. And he looked so strong and so healthy and so good and powerful. But there he was on a ventilator, and I soon did his funeral. You have no reason to think that you would suddenly pass from this earth the way you feel today. And that's what we think, and we tend to avoid some of the things that need to be thought about, some of the things that need to be acted upon. It's surprising how many people, including married couples with families, have not quite gotten to the issue of a will and life insurance. I mean, we mean to do that. It's always on our list, but we never quite get to it. Putting our house in order. <clears throat> uh, always reflection is appropriate. Always reflection is appropriate. It's good to reflect on our lives. It's good to take stock. It's good to evaluate. It's good to see, if, does God have a word for us in this season? And uh, before David died, he summoned all of the officials of Israel to Jerusalem. And that was a long list that Teresa read right at the beginning of the scripture. Probably numbering in the hundreds, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army, the brave warriors, and so on and so forth. I don't know, picture 500 people seated and waiting for the aging ruling king to speak. And imagine calling all your friends and family together to bid farewell and to express some guiding thoughts for your survivors, your beneficiaries. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had the opportunity to actually do that 
knowing that our, our time had come to be able to speak to the people in our sphere of life. David wanted one more chance to talk to them and to update them and to make sure that they were all in the loop before he died. David probably knew them all personally. He'd worked with them. He had memories of interactions with them. And the first thing he said to them is that he, that he had a great desire himself to build the temple. It was kind of confession time. Uh, but he lamented that this was not in the plan of God for him. But he so wanted it. So that was the first thing he said. So you know that was very deep in his heart to build the temple. It was something he really wanted to do. But God said, no. No. That was his personal dream. You know, people love to build things to leave a legacy. How did David respond to a, a no from the Lord? This is helpful. His response was acceptance. He received a no. And he received it without pouting and without resentment. And that is obviously the mark of maturity. But here's where the reflection comes in. Can, look at verse 4. Can you imagine David standing before all these people and perhaps with quivering voice he raises his hand to quiet the assembly and to begin his parting words. And he expresses his dream of building the temple... That's what he wanted to do, but it wasn't going to happen. So listen to what he says. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen the tribe of Judah to rule. And from among the families of Judah, he chose my father's family. And from among my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. I think it's true that you do more reflecting as the years go by. As one writer put it, David was not saying, was saying God did not give me a yes answer when it came to my own dreams. He gave me a no answer. But he did give me other things in place of that dream. And I'm making the very most of those other things. And David said he chose me to be a king. David, the shepherd boy, he chose me. And now he's chosen my son, Solomon, to carry on the kingship. Now, isn't that a great response? Look at what God has already done for you. Look at what he's privileged you to share in the kingdom. Don't focus on what you have to relinquish because if God says no, it's no. You can't run up against that wall. You can't penetrate it. So that means focus on the yeses. What are the yeses that he has given to you? Yes, maybe that dream that you've carried in your heart isn't going to happen, but what about focusing on the things that God has done? Chuck Swindoll puts it this way, we can live the last years of our life swamped by guilt or overwhelmed by failures of the past. We can either eat our heart out or we can say, by the grace of God, I did the best I had with what I had, the best I could with what I had, and I claim his promise that somehow he'll use what I did accomplish for his greater glory. I think it's a good word for all of us. It will strike some more personally than others. But wherever God has you, just keep saying yes, yes to him, 
and he'll take care of your dreams. And if there is a dream that isn't getting fulfilled, the presence of the Lord with all of his creativity and all of his grace and all of his love will fill the empty spot in your life. Now secondly, addressing the next generation. When we were in a building project some years ago, uh, back in the 90s, uh, another church, another time, uh, a gentleman used to call me uh, every, every other day to cheer me on. I guess he knew that uh, building projects can take a toll on, on pastors and on congregations, so he just wanted to cheer me on, so he called me. And he knew that he would never be a part of this new building because he was in the last year of, or so of his life. And he knew it. But he invested in that project financially. He prayed for it to happen. And he cheered. And I believe the Lord granted him, and I'm trying to remember, one or two, maybe three Sundays in the new building before he died. Why did he cheer? Why did he pray? Why did he give? Because he was vitally concerned about the next generation. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for uh, his, his own family. It was for all the people who would gather in the years to come as he looked down the decades. He wanted his life to make a difference. So why not invest in a ministry where you can make a kingdom difference? Why not think about that even when you're younger and you're middle-aged and you're older to think, what can I leave to invest in the kingdom that will make a difference in the lives of people? And David knew that building the magnificent temple uh, would fall to his son Solomon. So David speaks a word directly to Solomon in the great assembly that had gathered. Underline these words. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I like it, that last sentence. Be strong and do the work. What was David doing? A couple of things. He was setting up Solomon to be the new king. Uh, he, was, he was preparing the road for Solomon. There could no, be no doubt that Solomon would be the next king after David. And there may be some, like in 1 Kings we read, uh, chapter 1 I believe it is, that David, David's oldest son would try to snatch the kingship from Solomon. But David was preparing the road for Solomon. <clears throat> but secondly, he was also giving Solomon responsibility to build the temple. My son, this falls to you. You build the temple. The mammoth project would fall to Solomon. And he is clear and direct. Be strong. And you do the work. You do the work here. Uh, a gentleman was riding on a large passenger plane. And he was suddenly struck by the proficiency of the uh, flight attendant crew. They were amazing. They were, they were so inspiring. They were so service-oriented. They were so responsive. He said, it's the, best, it's the best flight crew I've ever seen at work. 
And so toward the end of the flight, he stopped one of the flight <coughs> crew members, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and he said, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I don't mean to bother you, he said, but uh, I fly a lot, and I've never seen a flight crew like this. You were the most engaged, enthusiastic, service-oriented flight crew that I've ever seen. And the female flight attendant got a little smile on her face as she bent down and she whispered to him, you can thank the woman seated back in 12B. And she paused and she nodded again to the woman uh, in 12B and she said, you see, the woman in seat 12B is the head supervisor for all the flight attendants for all of our airline. And she's on our flight tonight. It makes a difference. You know what? Jesus is in our midst. He's here today. And he's on our flight. And it has a profound way of changing the way we serve other people. It impacts the way that we live our years. We want to serve him well. Now, you may be seated in 12B yourself for some of your family and friends. They love you and they value who you are. And they want to make sure that they're giving their best. So friends, you can use seat 12B to encourage your family and friends. It's not a criticism that you fire at people. It's care and sometimes care fronting and most times just a whole lot of cheering. I came across a, uh, a great definition of family discipleship. Uh, I don't think it's on the screen, which I apologize for, but it's, it's worth writing down. It goes this way. It's written by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin in a book they've written by uh, called Family Discipleship. Uh, I read the book this summer. It's amazing. Uh, you would do well to order it from Amazon. Uh, Matt Chandler, Adam Griffin, Family Discipleship. Put simply, family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. Leading your home by doing whatever you can to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. You see, from 12b, we're living out our lives as parents in our families and we're doing everything we can to help our kids know more about their God. And by the time your child leaves your home, they will know the life and the joy and the freedom that comes from loving and serving God. Discipling the next generation is a daunting privilege. Uh, don't be afraid. God is with you. He will use you to lead your family to him. But you know, most of all, God's in 12B. And it's the purpose of our whole life is to know him and to love him and to serve him and to give him our best. So perhaps as you come to those, those years in life where you can begin to pass on words of wisdom to your family, uh, you can do that. 
careful that it doesn't come across preachy. But as the Lord gives you opportunity to share and influence, go ahead and do it. David says to Solomon, get to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Solomon, get to know my God. God meant everything to David. He was highly respectful and submissive to God in all of his life. And so that's our first prayer. And that's our heart for our, our kids and our grandkids. We want them to know our God. We want them to follow Jesus, even as we follow Jesus. And we feel this anguish when they're distant from him. You know what I think I hear David saying is, Solomon, make your faith in God your own faith. Make it your own faith. Make it personal. We grieve when the next generation doesn't take their faith seriously. We want to run in and fix it, and we discover that doesn't work. Parents, usually it means more about just living vibrantly and authentically yourself before God. Pray for your kids. Submit them to the Lord. Trust Him. And with, you get a chance without being too preachy. Speak into their hearts. And let them know that God has chosen them and wants to use them. Sometimes it may feel like it takes a long time before you begin to see some movement and tenderness in their hearts. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. What is your spiritual legacy, moms and dads? Will your children grow up knowing that you serve the Lord with all your heart? The best encouragement to your children is always, of course, your own life. Surrender to the Lord. And David could challenge Solomon to give his best to the Lord and serve him faithfully because he did it. Oh, not perfectly, of course. And that's what's so gratifying about what we've been studying. Not perfectly, but he, he gave the Lord his best. We as parents are going to blow it sometimes. And uh, we mess up and we, we wound our kids. We confuse them. We frustrate them. We don't understand them. But you don't have to do it perfectly. No one does. Just when you mess up, just be open enough to say that this one's on me. You messed up. Thirdly, declaring confidence and support. It's always good to cheer for your family uh, and for your friends. And a cheer, you know, goes a long ways. I was always amazed to watch the Olympics this summer and, and the athletes in Tokyo. Almost all, every one of them thanked their parents for their success. And I'm glad they did that because our parents and our siblings are so key in our lives. They're our greatest cheerleaders. And so it says, Then David continued, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is, is finished correctly. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer. And the officials and the entire nation are at your, your command. What is this? It's pure encouragement. Solomon, you aren't alone. You have a host of people around you that will share the same heart. And they will come alongside and they will volunteer as you build 
this temple together. Just bless them for their service. Just recognize that they're your resources and they want to be a part of building the temple too. So include them. Put your arm around them. It's such an honor. It's not yours alone. And I thought of TCC. Look at the amazing team of people that God has given you for leadership in these days. Wow. Look at your staff. You're blessed. Look at the resources in the people God has given to TCC. What a powerful force to be transformational in a community. I think Solomon is young and and you can almost feel his heart pounding in his his throat. This is so overwhelming. I'm a young man and I'm, I'm going to be the king and my job is to build the temple. It's like But dad comes to his side and he gives him perspective. You can do this, Solomon, because God is with you. And you've got people around you who are with you and it will get done. And it will get done well. And and I just say, what a father. What a father. That means a whole lot. I was caught by a comment that uh, I read recently. I think my wife found the quote and then I picked it up for her, but I don't really know who said it, so I apologize for that. But it goes this way. Don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids because the world they're going to grow up in uh, is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. Every person in all of history has been placed in the time they were in because of God's sovereign plan. I love that. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. He knew Peter could handle persecution. And he knows what your child can handle, whatever challenge they face in their life. He created them specifically for it. Don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. Raise Daniel's, David's, Esther's, and Peter's. Oh, good words for us in the day in which we're living when things are shifting all around us and challenges uh, keep coming one after another you try to get traction in your life and it doesn't go the way you want it to go it's just where it is and God is helping us and he's helping our kids and and know that you have such a critical role in just encouraging them I think Solomon was grateful for his dad so friends if we've if you've got parents who've paved the way for you and blessed you and cheered you on be so grateful for them they've invested time and money and energy oh so good to have a grateful heart and David did that for his son Solomon and he set him up and you can read it all about in verses 11 to 19 I just want to say that 
David gave Solomon the plans for the temple. You may not be familiar with that. He gave him instruction as to the amount of gold and silver to be used. He still was hands-on, but he passed it on to Solomon. But he did a lot of thinking before. And David made tremendous contributions to the the Lord for the construction of the temple. And he challenged the people to to do the same. And the people gave and gave. Listen, the people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. And finally, giving God the praise and the glory. How wonderful to sign off your life with praise and glory to God. There's a great prayer in First Chronicles 20, 29. We don't have time to look at it. But just this verse, O Lord, the God of your ancestors Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who's over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. What a high view David had of God. And you know, David could have written the stewardship manual. He had such a strong sense that, that God was the owner and he was the manager. Well, in 1969, Malcolm Muggeridge, a British journalist, went to Calcutta to make a documentary about Mother Teresa for the BBC. And she didn't want him to do it. She didn't want that kind of attention. But he was relentless. And she finally agreed. But she said, if we're going to do it, let's do something beautiful for God. And when they began filming, a strange thing happened. Even though there was not enough light in the hospice for filming, the finished film was bathed in a particularly beautiful soft light. And Muggeridge figured it was the halo of love that he sensed there. And later he went on to write a book about Mother Teresa. And he used that phrase, something beautiful for God, as the title. And he eventually became a Christian as a result of that experience. And this is the story of David in his everyday faith, there was a beautiful soft light that pointed to the fact that here was a man who knew God and who lived his whole life with a desire to have God be the focus of who he was and how he lived out the days of his life. Amen. Let's stand together. Oh, Father, thank you for the... uh, for this classroom called Earth. And here we learn so much uh, about life, just like David did. And for us in 2021, this is all new territory for us. We're learning. We're learning as your children, as youth, fathers and moms, uh, children. We're discovering... Uh, things that we've never experienced before. We've never done things this way before. We learn through our families and with our families.
we learn as grandparents and and lord sometimes we we mess it up but thank you for showing us through your servant david that you're never finished with us and that you always rally to get us uh, going again and moving forward so even at death may we glorify you father may we come to know that you're always desiring to manifest your glory through our lives we thank you for david and we thank you for each life here in jesus name Amen.